Hi friends, this is episode 76 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hi everybody, thanks so much for continuing this journey with us. We are going through such incredible conversations on the letter to the Ephesians, and today you're in for a real treat. One of my really good friends, Pastor Terry Benson, who recently retired and is still so full of energy and life and really is young uh, to be a retired pastor. So I'm delighted that you get to hear him lead out this conversation One of his favorite books in the Bible is the book of Ephesians, and that's going to come through when you hear him talk about this and have conversations with the community about what chapter four, the first half of chapter four, means to him. You really are going to be moved. I want to make sure that you know that you can go to our website, thebiblelab.com, get your study guide episode seven, session seven. Make sure you get the study guide for this one because there's a lot of great stuff in there that you want to be able to see for yourself that Pastor Terry is going through. I'm so excited that you're on this journey as we go through this section talking about unity versus uniformity and what God wants us to understand in him. The one thing that he wants us to be, I know you're going to be changed. Welcome to the Bible Lab. So the first question is this. I have often asked myself if I am being too gentle during times of interpersonal conflict. I have often thought myself to be too gentle during times of interpersonal conflict. This is awesome. So, you know, what this, what it's, I see a, a whole mixed crowd here, mostly a division between yes and no, and then there's some maybes. As Roy said, that's because you can't make up your mind or whatever, or you just don't want to commit. But, but it tells me that, uh, that when it comes to interpersonal conflict, some of you wish you were more aggressive, and some of you have been told you're way too aggressive. <laughs> so, and, and my observation of Adventists over the many years that I've been one and, and worked with them is that very few Adventists uh, back off when it comes to theological arguments. We like to get in there. So anyway, that's an interesting one. Uh, <clears throat> and, it, and it plays into our whole theme of unity today. So uh, the second question is this. Other people describe me as a very tolerant person. (laughs) A few more yeses. Uh, Well, a lot more yeses. Some of you are being honest and you're raising a no. And I see a few few, uh, maybes. Roy is so much better at the percentages. I'm not a mathematician, you know. I'm an artist, so I just see colors. A very tolerant person. Yeah, that's, I mean, I don't think I could raise a yes to that. Although I know people think I am, but if they just, if they really knew me. (laughs) Yeah. All right, number three. I know what my calling is and I'm living up to it. See what you have to say about that. See about, I know my calling and I'm living up to it. 
Uh, I would, I'm going to venture a guess it's like a uh, 60-40 uh, split between yeses and noes with maybes in there. I, so if maybes are in there, it can't be 60-40. But anyway, that doesn't matter. I know my calling and I'm living up to it. That's a really uh, important part of our discussion today. Because Paul talks about what we are called to. And it's different in many ways than what we think of. In fact, as I was going through the study, I learned quite a bit about it and realized I have had a pretty narrow idea of what it means to be called by God. So I'm excited to, to uh, get into that part of, of uh, Bible Lab today. Number four. Um, this has got to be a trick question. There is more than one baptism. And a lot of you are afraid to raise your cards. <laughs> more than one baptism. A lot of yeses. A lot of yeses on this one. Okay. So you did read the chapter, didn't you? Oh, no, you, it says one baptism. Well, what does that mean? And what does it mean when uh, I think it's uh, one of the apostles finds out that some people have been baptized uh, according to the, John the Baptist, and they said, you know, that was one baptism, but they hadn't been baptized into Jesus. So what, is that, what does it mean that there are more than one baptism, there's more than one baptism, or there's just one baptism? As a pastor, I always wanted more than one baptism, for sure. I mean, every pastor does, right? But we try to make them all flow in the same direction. And number five. God works through everyone and everything. You guys have been coming to Bible Lab, haven't you? <laughs> A sea of yeses. Uh, and we could, dis we could argue about that, I guess, uh, over time. But God works through everyone and everything. That's something that Paul really, really brings out in our uh, lesson today. Uh, the the first question on your outline is not the first question I want to start with. Because as I was thinking about this whole study and this whole section of Ephesians, I started thinking about community. I, th I started thinking about what is, it, what is it that brings people to the Bible lab? Why do people show up here? Randy and I were talking about that earlier, and it's like, well, the food used to be the big thing. <laughs> And then a lot of people come to church or maybe to Bible Lab out of habit. And it's like, well, at least at Bible Lab, we'll get some entertainment because Roy really tells some good ones, you know. <laughs> uh, what is it that brings people together? And what is it that blows people apart? And what is it that keeps us from connecting? And so I, I thought about in my own life, a lot of the insecurities and the walls that uh, maybe even unconsciously I put up over the course of my life. Where did all that come from? So I want to ask a question. And you don't, I don't want you to raise your hands here for this one. But I want to ask a question. And if you'd like to share, you know, raise a comment card. And the question is this. Uh, have, has anybody, were you, did you go through a divorce when you were a child? Did your parents get divorced when you were a child? And, and how did that affect you? Anybody go th have their family be split apart through divorce when you were a child or a young person, a teenager even? Anybody? My parents separated about four times. 
Four times, wow. And my brother and I were like five years apart, and we stayed with our grandmother and grandfather when they would separate. They got married young, and that's no excuse, of course. And back then, in those days, we were not uh, born-again Christians. But we always had a tender heart for Christ. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing that through all of that, they went back together for the last time and stayed together. (laughs) And I was going in my 10th grade in high school when that happened. And I... And I ended up giving my heart to Christ when my mom and dad got interested in going to church. And that was the cement to their relationship. Hmm. And we were baptized in water. (laughs) And uh, later baptized by the Holy Spirit, praise God. All right, there you go. That was good. So so when you were... Uh, well, they took the mic away. But, but the question, part of the question that I have is when, when you go through that, how, did it, how does it affect you? How does it affect a young person that might last for a lifetime? If, if the par- your parents, they're, to a child, uh, you know, parents are like God, right? In, in a very real sense. And so there's this, this rupture in the relationship. How does that stay with you? I can imagine... That if your parents come back together, I would have done anything for that to happen in, in my, my family. And then right back here, we had a, a comment. Oh, I grew up in a Catholic home, uh, the oldest uh, girl of seven kids. I was 17 when my uh, dad left uh, our family. And at, in those days, divorce was not so common. So it, there was great shame and trauma in, in, you know, the divorce. Me and my brother and sister were known all over the neighborhood because we were very respected teenagers as babysitters for the neighborhood. <laughs> and uh, they could not believe it. They perceived us as the ideal family. <laughs> And uh, it was about seven more years before I met the Lord. And uh, I had been like a walking dead person going through the motions of going to college and having a job and and just traumatized and reeling Mm -hmm. from uh, the trauma. And disbelieving, you know, questioning marriage you know, because I was sure my parents met, meant what they said when they took their vows um, 21 years prior. And uh, the Holy Spirit said, forgive your parents when, when I met the Lord. And he said, the, you know, that can be healed forgive your parents they were only human and uh, it was still another seven years before you know I was married myself and alas I too was divorced and I I do feel for for kids growing up 
in but divorced it, but doesn't homes. It, doesn't it leave, it leaves a scar, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it even, leaves a even scar. when we, uh, even when we process it and we figure it out for ourselves and like, that was them, it's not me and all of that, it's still, something happens inside. Mm -hmm. There's a brokenness Indeed. that we don't want to experience. And uh, it sounds like it took you a while to, br to come to that healing as well. Thank you. Over here, the purple mic. I'm one of six children. I was number five in the line. And I was 13 when my father basically walked in and said he was leaving. Mm -hmm. I think at the time, I was in middle school, I didn't sense how much it impacted me until I noticed my grades when I look back from the point when it happened. I went from an AB student to a CD student to really having some struggles. And I didn't sense it at the time that that was really what was going on is my identity of who I was and who, who valued me. And I think that one of the things that happens is you sense Although it's a decision your parents make, that they made it because you didn't do something or you weren't a good enough child. Yeah. And so <laughs> God has to come in and show us yeah. and, and love us in a way that it's perfect. Our parents make mistakes and make choices, but God is always there and he loves us perfectly. Yeah. So I, when I look back at it, I look back at it now, I say, you know what, I... I was afraid even when I got married that maybe this could be something that I'd struggle with. But thank God, 32 years later, we're still going strong and together because of the power of the Lord. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Thank you. Um, and then over here, the blue mic. Yes, when uh, my parents divorced, uh, it was a situation that was very difficult for me as a child. I was about seven. And um, there was no food in the house. Uh, sometimes we, uh, we had to struggle to pay the rent because my dad was out and, and he was not sending the money that we needed. So my mom says, something good come out of all this. I, I would say that the divorce helped me in a positive way to um, start looking for things to do, looking for work looking to, to, to survive. And so I, I got my first job when I was 10. And I worked for that lady for five years, from 10 to 15. Uh, in those days, the, the, the 15 party, you know, the quinceanera or the sweet 16, what we call it here, was very important for a, a, a teenager. Mm -hmm. And I wanted a party, but my parents were split and there was no money. My mom says, you want a party? You pay for it. Wow. So basically, when I worked for this lady, she gave me a letter of recommendation, which I still have. And she uh, made me the dress. I, I helped, you know, pay for the materials. And she taught me how to sew, so I learned some new things. Uh, I survived. And my mom says, you better look forward in the future, you need to get, go somewhere, go to the United States. So I got to the United States, and from here I, I, I helped my mom. My dad remarried, and so all together is 13 of us, 10 girls and three boys. Mm -hmm. And from here I have helped them all the way till now, and now there's like 
40 nephews and nieces, and we still help them <laughs> from here. So praise God. There's also always something yeah. good that you learn from God struggles. Took a, God took a very, a very negative uh, situation in your life and really, really turned it in for good. Saw some, some hearts up here. So, so the point of, of trying to get into the, that particular issue for me was, as I thought about my life, because I went through divorce, uh, or I, my folks went through divorce when I was 17, and, and it had a profound impact on my life, even as a teenager. And then, so much so that I was determined and vowed I would never, ever get divorced. You know, don't say never, right? And so, so these kinds of things, when we have relationships that splinter and that rupture, it has a profound influence on us, and it, and it affects the way that we relate to community. In fact, we, a lot of us, uh, we go into an individualistic uh, frame of mind, and we, maybe we become overachievers, or maybe we put up walls because we're afraid that if we get into a relationship, it, it'll break and we'll be hurt, and, uh, and all of that kind of thing. And I think what Paul is talking about today helps to meet that brokenness in our world. And it's, it's not just divorce, you know, it's so many other things. So I want to move on here with, uh, with the question that's in your, in your uh, outline. It says, uh, why does Paul begin chapter 4 with therefore? What do you think, what, what do you remember him saying in a previous verse or chapter that is laying the groundwork uh, for the discussion he's going to talk about, the discussion that we have here in verses 1 through 6. Why does he say therefore? Therefore is like a, a bridge word, you know, especially in the New Testament. He said all these things, therefore this. So why do you think, what, what's, what happened in chapter 3? Just a little review from last week. What happened in chapter 3 that's going to help enlighten us in chapter 4? We have a comment right back here. Um, red mic. So at first glance, you always think, oh, it's just a demarcation. Paul just wants to get, get your attention. It's yeah. like an exclamation point, almost like Jesus saying, verily, verily. Yeah. But when you really think about it, exactly, <laughs> you read the first three chapters of Ephesians, and he's already established our identity. We as Gentiles, we as people in the church now that we know that we're part of the church we're heirs this is what he's getting at is we already know our identity and now that we know our identity what do we do with it mm -hmm. exactly amen our our identity is everything in this discussion because we all think Naturally, we think our identity may be one thing or we struggle throughout our lives to figure out who we are and what we're about. But, but when, we, when we start moving through the path that, that Paul is uh, laying out for us, we realize God has an identity for us that we never understood before. And, and just like Randy says, when you, when you read uh, chapters 1 through 3, you, you see this amazing reality that God uh, not only um, loves you, but he wants you. He wants you to love him. He's calling us, he's calling us all into his family. Specifically in chapter 3, I was thinking of Paul praying for the church. He was praying for 
the Gentile believers that he's talking to, and, and of course his Jewish brothers and sisters. But, but his prayers are, he says, I, I beg you, I'm sorry, he says, uh, I, am, I am begging God, I'm on my knees begging God uh, to give you inner strength. He names three or four things that he's praying for us for. Give you inner strength uh, so that you can be connected with God. And then he, he talks about the roots that go down into God. He says, I'm praying that, that uh, God will increase your capacity. This is something that blew my mind last week. I, you know, it was great that Roy brought out. Increase your, pa- your capacity to understand and to experience the limitless love of God through Jesus Christ. And we, we, you, we talk about the love of Jesus as if it's, as if it's uh, fried potatoes or something, you know. I mean, we talk about it so casually and, and, and uh, as if it's not that big of a deal because we all believe in the love of Christ. But Paul, for Paul, he is down on his knees begging God to help us be expanded in our appreciation, our understanding, and our experience of the love of Christ. You see, if that came into our midst, if we really got that in our hearts, this would be a different group. I'd be a different person. You'd be a different person because we would be electrified. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself here. (laughs) Sorry. Been a while since I preached, you know. And I did it in the summer with a mask on. That was horrible. That was horrible. Anyway, so so he's, he's prayed for us. He's praying for our security. He's praying that God would give us a sense of belonging, that he, would, that he would give us such security that we would discover the freedom that we have in Christ. He's praying that we will really understand Jesus Christ brings us back to life so that we're not walking around like walking dead. And I know some of you watch that show. I won't point to anybody here. <laughs> okay. So that's the, that's the foundation, exactly what Randy said. All, th- all three of these chapters, and then specifically his prayer for us. He's praying, God, I'm praying that God will give you this. Therefore, let's read the passage. All right. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you... I'll find it. Just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. That is a profound statement. That is something you could spend uh, a long time you know, contemplating and studying. So, so having, having read through that, um, let's go back to that first verse. He says he's a prisoner for serving the Lord. Actually, the, the uh, Greek translation I know this because, not because I studied Greek, because I'm a, because I'm a Mounts, Bill Mounts interlinear uh, you know, translation expert. <laughs> I know how to look it up and see it. But, but it, literally it says that he is the prisoner in the Lord. And, and Roy talked about that last week. 
that he was Christ's prisoner. He didn't see his time in prison as being the impediment that most of us would see it to be. He, he felt like Jesus had captured him and had him in this place so that he could write the letter to the Ephesians, you know? That's pretty, that's pretty uh, powerful testimony to all of us who might someday be thrown in prison. Hopefully, not for the wrong reasons. <laughs> so he says, I beg, uh, he says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. What have, Paul, what is Paul's, what have Paul's readers been called to in the context of what we've gone through and, and, and then this statement here? What do you think that calling is? Anybody have a, a thought about that? While you're thinking about it, I'll talk about worthy. <laughs> worthy is, uh, the word in Greek is axios, and, and it means in a manner becoming. The way I, the way I saw it in, in reading the interpretations of the Greek is that he's saying, I want you to live consistent lives. I want you to live congruent lives. You say you believe in Jesus. You say you have a hope of his second return. Is your life reflective of that belief and that hope? I want that to be con congruent. Have a life that's worthy of your calling because what is the calling that God has called us to? Anybody have a clue? You can go back to uh, uh, chapter 1 and verse 18. It gives you a little bit of a clue of what Paul's talking about here. Um, and maybe while we're doing that, somebody might think of who, who raised their card and said, I know my calling and I'm living it to its full potential. You can tell us a little bit about your calling. Uh, but Ephesians, in the first chapter, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he's called you. I always thought of calling as being God's called me to do stuff. But as I went through the New Testament and I looked at all the, all the places in the New Testament where it uses the word calling or someone is called, it, that isn't the predominant thought at all. The predominant thought is God, God is calling us to himself. You know, what did Jesus say in Matthew eleven twenty eight? Come, come to me, right? Come to me, come unto me, all you who are what? You're, you're burdened down, you're, you're under a great load, you're, you're, as one translation says, you're burned out on religion. Come to me, all you who are broken. God is calling us to himself, and when we come to God, what does he give us? According to, pardon? Salvation. He gives us rest. And Paul says in Ephesians 1.18, he gives us hope. Hope, right? All right. So, so uh, he, his calling, we are called to be and we're called to belong way more than we'll, we're called to do. Because the doing comes after we, we, we receive this... Um, this sense of identity and this, and this security that comes with knowing that God, God's got us. Do you, do you guys, anybody here uh, go through your life during the week and you have moments where you feel anxious, 
that maybe somehow you're just, you're just not connecting with God and that, that he's not there for you or maybe he's there for you but you don't know it or there's, there's just a big disconnection. Do you ever have that insecurity? Do you ever see that in, in other people? It's a comment right up here. <laughs> Carolyn, uh, green card. So my life vocation has been in geriatric care management. Frequently we run into families where there's multiple attorneys representing every family member because oh. nobody's getting along. And uh, recently I've been having a very difficult case to be struggling with. And uh, um, I actually don't have an attorney to represent myself. So <laughs> normally <laughs> one of the attorneys that is representing the side that I'm working for would represent me. But that hasn't happened in this case. And I have found myself very anxious, as you said, Terry, very anxious this week. But I want to tell you, a blessing in my life has been my husband. <laughs> he, <Amen. laughs> he is one of those people that said, Carolyn, now you do believe that God's going to be watching over you. You do believe that God's going to help you through this, right? You're not going to go bankrupt having to hire a lawyer to defend yourself. You You're not going to fail. Your business isn't going to close down. The world is, it's kind of like this chicken little, the sky is not falling. <laughs> and he reminds me of that. And he reminds me of our faith. And he reminds me of the fact that God has taken us through everything. Um, we recently went through a bout of COVID together, which was not mm. fun for the COVID. But, you know, we grow closer together during that past few weeks when we we're forced to be with each other. We found out we actually do like each other. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and through all of it, um, even when Byron was in the hospital uh, on my birthday, <laughs> and we were very worried about his future, God was there, and God was calling us and taking us through that. So... That hope for the future, that belief, that faith that we have, is, sometimes it's tried, but many times part of the trying is saying, guess what? I'm still here. <laughs> I still have you. You're still my child, and I still want you as part of my family of God. And I thank my husband for helping remind me of that, me frequently, and thank God for the experiences we've been through, positive and negative, that help remind us of that. Wow, that's, that's, I, I appreciate so much what you've shared because so many times I find myself getting anxious about all kinds of crazy stuff, but a lot about finances, about family and different things. And, and, and because of the Bible lab, because of how God has been saturating my mind, uh, God just calls me back and says, where's your hope? Where's your trust in me? And the hope that he's given me is that he's got it under control. It doesn't matter what happens. God is with us and he's got us if we're open to that, right? Amen. So uh, we're so glad you guys are here together and uh, made it through that rough, rough time. Um, so so the, hope, the hope that he's called us to, or, or the calling that he's given us, is, is to receive his hope. And that hope is not a wish. It's, it's like, this is good. God's given this to you. He's given you eternal life. Is that just a wish? No, it's a guarantee. In fact, what, is, what 
are we guaranteed with? How are we sealed according to chapter 1 of Ephesians? We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and brings assurance in our lives. And so the hope that Carolyn is talking about here, uh, I think it's Peter that says, be ready when anybody, when anybody asks you for the reason that you have hope, be ready to give them an answer. Well, that's it right there. That's the hope. That's evangelism. You know, evangelism is telling other people what you know and have experienced about God. That's really what it is. All right. So uh, let's move on here. Um, verse two, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. <laughs> He's talking to real people, right? Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So we're encouraged by Paul here to make every effort to, to keep united. First of all, where does he say we're to focus that effort? So he's, he's talking about keep united, and he's saying, I want you to, to uh, make every effort to be united in the Spirit. So the focus of our effort is to be in the unity that the Spirit brings. Uh, so I'll, I'll ask this question. Maybe this will stir it up a little bit. Carolyn said I was going to explain it. No, you're going to explain it. What, uh, how are unity and uniformity different? Because he's talking, he starts talking a lot about unity here. How are unity and uniformity different, or are they? You know, maybe they're the same thing. Right back here with the purple mic. Um, I think um, when you said the focus of our worship is really important, um, and if we're unified and focusing on Jesus and love, the, the love that the Holy Spirit um, will bestow upon us and change our hearts and minds, um, then maybe the rest... Um, doesn't matter as much. I think sometimes we get really focused on the form of worship instead of the focus of worship. And, um, and that doesn't bring unity. You know, if we argue about, you know, how we do this or that, I think that's the job of the Holy Spirit um, to impress upon us and enlighten us as we study. And um, in terms of um, you know, are different, we each on a different path, um, all leading to Jesus if, if we're focusing on him. But it's going to look different for each one of us depending on where we are. And I think when we get focused on that form of worship, it's really easy to get distracted and um, think we all have to do it in a uniform way. You know, all the exact exacting. That's what the Jews are very exacting. Um, but when we love each other and have that spirit of love, um, then, and, and we're all going towards Jesus. It's like a radius. As you're all going towards the same point, eventually you're going to come together right. and, and, and be closer together in how right. you view things. So, um, yeah. For sure, yeah. So, so uh, uh, I, I'm assuming you're married. Okay. Do you ever have disagreements with your husband? <laughs> Does that mean that you're not united? Well, that's what I keep telling. As we keep focusing ourselves on Jesus, <laughs> sorry, we're going to get closer sorry, I'm and closer. Personal. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> uh, 
but, but you think about where, where do most of our disagreements come from? I mean, wh what is the nature of most of our disagreements of any kind, whether they're religious or otherwise? Isn't it our opinions? So, so some of you grew up in a church where it was wrong to wear jewelry, so I'm, I'm wearing my jewelry today. You know, for 20 years, I didn't have to wear a, wear a, a tie as a pastor, and I come to the Bible lab, and God has a big laugh because I put a tie on. And it's jewelry, you know, because we had, when I was growing up, there were huge discussions and huge disagreements about what that meant and how it worked and how, what we were supposed to do and not do, just like you're saying. But that's different, that's a whole different thing than the unity of the Spirit, isn't it? I mean, Diane and I disagree about how to load the dishwasher. Her way of loading is fast. Mine is particular. <laughs> but that's not, that's, that is not going to divide us, you know, because if she's in the kitchen, I'll do it her way or let her do it. You know, I'll just let her do it. That'll be fine. Back here, it's blue, Mike, I think. There's a saying that we become like the kind of God that we worship. Mm. And I think that even in the Adventist church, as well as many Christian churches, there can be big differences in the type of God that we, that we worship. So I think our efforts should be directed at knowing what God is like. Is he yes. a loving, trustworthy forgiving kind of a God, that's where we should be putting our effort to proclaiming is that he is that kind of God. He's not an arbitrary, unforgiving, severe type of person. And um, there can be big differences <laughs> amongst uh, members of any church if they're at the two extremes of what they think God is like. So I believe our effort should be at knowing what God is really like yeah. and, and proclaiming that, that he is a loving, trustworthy Amen. God. Amen. That's, Amen. that's the heart of the Bible lab, isn't it? Knowing what God is like and discovering and, and learning. Uh, comment here on the red mic. Um, I, as uniformity and unity, I, I think the difference is uniformity is almost like cult-like or stagnant, where the decisions and all the growth that we're going to experience has already happened. And now we're just going to continue in this way we're going to continue this is how god is and we're not going to change it right. but unity i think is where we're actually growing and active where we're open to the spirit moving us into learning more about an infinite god um, and infinite possibilities i mean the, the, the church to the ephesians they were experiencing that they were they were different this is this is a new thing that happened they were um one new man made out of two. Yes. So it wasn't just yes. th these walls had been broken down. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty uncomfortable, I think, for yeah. the Jewish people and the uh, Gentiles at the time, because it was, it was a growth process. Yes. And we continue to go through that growth process. And once we become uniform, I think then it's ended. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. yeah I, I, I like that a lot. And, and I thought of the word that I used was legislated sameness. <laughs> that somehow it's a, a rule that gets imposed on all of us, whereas unity is exactly what you're saying. We're growing together, and it's not comfortable. There's some of you that if I got to know you, I probably wouldn't like. <laughs> I'm just being honest, and some of you probably already don't like me. It's fine. It's fine. 
But God loves us all, right? In fact, he likes us. And, and he's, pulling us, he's pulling us together and, and helping us to understand it's not whose idea is better because the, most of our disagreements come out of ideas. But if I get to know you and I find out the hurts and the hang-ups and, and the heartache of your life and you, you become human to me and I realize there's a lot more that's similar to me than there is different, then all of a sudden all that stuff that I, I might disagree with, it, it, it doesn't, it's not as big. And Jesus is saying, well, if, if you feel that way, think of how it is for me, because I came down into all this mess, you know. But he loves us, and he likes us. He created us. So, so if, if you're weird, I have to say, well, Jesus, you like weird. And he's saying, well, look in the mirror, brother, you know, you're pretty weird yourself. Purple Mike over here, Mike. I look at uniformity as something where I see the marching um, military, you know, brigade marching, you know, all in the same uniform, looking the same. It's all looks. Where unity is about working with each other in spite of our shortcomings. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's working together. So I want to go on here with... uh, with the next section. Verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. So, I, you know, the common word there is what? One. So I, it's like being a good Bible lab student. I wanted to discover all the richness of meaning of the Greek word for one. And I studied it, and I looked it up, and I tried to find as many places. And you know what it means? It means one. That's it. So that can be a disappointment, or it can be an encouragement for us to understand Paul is really hammering something home here, right? So the first question that that comes under that verse is, what do you see as the common denominator of these seven ones? I'm interested in that. I thought I saw a comment card up somewhere. What do you see as the, what, what, is, what is similar? What is connecting these seven ones? That's what I call them, seven ones, right back here on the purple mic. You know, it reminds me of the term atonement because I like to think of it as at one moment when um, our hearts and minds are transformed to be in harmony with, with God's character. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a good one. And over here. Morning. The sense is that unity brings cohesiveness, and that leads to oneness. And I love that Paul is outlining the characteristics, the internal condition that leads to my external life that would bring me to oneness in my relationship with humanity and with God. Mm-hmm. And so that it, it's just a. a a beautiful outline and I think the idea also is this there's a I was recently introduced to a concept of complex adaptive systems it's how a in an environment like this where my decisions and your decisions impact each other and as Paul um, is communicating with churches he's describing the internal condition that affects 
the individual and how the individual affects the community and how the community affects the church. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to that oneness, it's that we're all striving toward um, Christ-likeness in our internal condition that would lead us into places of, of love and community. And what I'm discovering is that the, the, the deeper I walk in that, the more encouraged I am to have new experiences. So this isn't a, a, a typical environment that I would be in on a Saturday morning, but it's, I'm very comfortable here because yeah. we're talking about our love for Jesus yes. and how he affects our life and go. draws us closer to yeah. bring us into that place yeah. of oneness. And, and, and what you just said was, is exactly what I see as the common denominator of these sevens. Do you know how many wars and people have actually died and suffered horrendous things over these seven things? I mean, you think about the theological implications, and if you go back and study the early church, like the second, third, and fourth centuries or, and beyond, you find out that there were huge, not only disagreements, there were literally wars fought over many of the things that we take for granted as, as good theology. The common denominator in all of these seven ones is Jesus. It's our love for Jesus. It, it, it is, it is the, uh, Jesus is, it's his body. It's the spirit of Jesus. It's the hope that Christ brings to us. Jesus is our master, right? Uh, it's the faith of Jesus. It's being baptized to become a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And, and God is the father of Jesus. That's who he came to reveal. So, so we have to understand this is more than just theological ideas. There's a person behind everything that he says here. Comment here on the red mic. What are the original ones? Well, we have the triune God, which is three persons, but one community. And then what is the second oldest one? Men and women in marriage. Mm -hmm. We did talk about the disagreements. And there will always be disagreements because yeah. I think God had a sense of humor when he made Eve. But that's my opinion. And well, and Eve looked at Adam and she really started laughing too, right? <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. Our, our time's kind of running out, but uh, when I was thinking about this, my mind went back to the creation of, of Adam and Eve. God said, let us make man in our image. And it says he created man, and man, mankind was what? Male. And female, it wasn't just one or the other, it was both that represented God. So there was this oneness from the beginning that got blown apart, uh, you know, there in, in the Garden of Eden. But that's where it came, that's, it came from God. The Shema in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, one God, one Lord. There's different translations of that. That, that was like the heart and soul of Judaism and, and, and of the Hebrew uh, faith, wasn't it? I have a, on my doorpost, I have a, a mezuzah. Anybody know what a mezuzah is? It's a little thing I picked up in Israel many, many years ago. And it has all those passages from Deuteronomy in it that remind us that God is, God is over everything. He is one God. But then I went to John 17, where Jesus has this amazing prayer. And he prays, he prays, that we would, we would know 
we would be united, we would be one with each other just as he and the Father are united. Do you ever think about that? You think Jesus was just united as like he read a book and he said, like, yeah, I agree with that. That wasn't the unity of Jesus with the Father, was it? He says, I want my followers, both the disciples and everybody that believes afterwards because of their testimony, which is you and me in this room, I want them to have that kind of oneness, of unity, the same unity that the Father and the Son have. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to see come about in the church? Another comment here, Red Mike. I think that we all need to be very aware of the fact that the power that's trying to make us all exactly alike is not God's power, it's Satan's power. Society starts to flatten us and try to make us into one thing. Even when we start school and the teacher wants all the people to have about the same personality and complains about the little boys because the little girls are sitting there very quietly. Quiet, <coughs> when, d when God created this world, he created creatures that could change if they needed to. God, nothing in this world, if we really look at it closely, says that we all have to be alike, right. the same. There's not two of us alike, is there? No. I mean, every single person. Diana watched this movie that was about a guy who, if you, could, if you were dying and you could have somebody who could be a perfect clone of you to take over your life, would you do it? And I like, that, that's not in the Bible, you know? <laughs> Because uh, in the way God created things is like there's none of us are exactly alike. And what a what a I'm so thankful for that. This is a quilt. My wife's a quilter. This is a massive quilt of humanity just sitting right here in this room. We, we live. We live in a society that. Uh, elevates and even idolizes individualism, right? We don't really understand the world that, that Paul lived in and that he, the people that he was talking to. They didn't know about individual rights. They didn't understand the separation of church and state. They did, you know, it was just a whole different framework of thinking. And we live in, in, in a world that doesn't value true unity. But when they see it, and what if they were to see it in, the, in God's church? What if we were to start taking down those walls and we were, to, we were to believe exactly what Paul is saying? There's one God. He doesn't look down on this earth and see uh, you're an Adventist and you're a Methodist and you're this and you're that. He doesn't see that. He sees people. He sees his own family that is alienated from him. What if within the church, those who really believe in Jesus Christ, we were to start modeling that amazing heart of God for this world because it says God so loved the Adventists right no or the Catholics or he he loved the Mormons but he wanted to convert them <laughs> it says God loved the world everyone in the world and that means when I drive by somebody or I see my neighbor across the street whose angel got blown away in the storm my dog stayed okay but the angel took flight across the street, you know, during the winds and everything, that God loves her. God has a tremendous heart for her. 
and, and he, maybe, he maybe have something that I can learn from her. He might be speaking to me through her or through someone else, that we begin to have the security th that God wants us to have in him so that we don't have walls between us first in his family and then as we relate to people outside in the world. That's some incredible news, and I am just so thankful to Pastor Terry Benson for leading out. You'll hear him again because he is an integral part to our Bible study community right there in Loma Linda. Now, this next session, I'm back, and it was uh, recorded on Christmas Day. So, of course, we had to talk about gifts, but that's exactly what the last half of Ephesians 4 is talking about. It talks about some gifts that God gave to all of us people and it's not what you think because typically we think of spiritual gifts as things that okay now i have a spiritual responsibility but that's not what it's talking about i've read through this almost my entire life and thought it was saying something completely different and when you hear what god is saying that he wants to give you as a gift it's going to not only blow your mind but it's going to give you so much more reassurance and to help you also appreciate specific people that God has brought into your life. And I want to share that with you. So please come back for the next episode. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at thebiblelab.com. Programs are recorded each Saturday at 1030 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.